good morning. It's good to see everyone out this morning. You can keep your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1. We'll begin there in just a moment. It's been such a joy to worship with you all this morning, and it caught my attention as Keith uh, brought us together to worship at the outset that he brought to mind something that had come from the Bible class that he had been in in Jeremiah, and freed did the very same thing as he was thinking about how to help prepare our minds for the taking of the Lord's Supper. It was the thoughts from the Bible class that he's in and their study through Joshua that came to mind that gave him thoughts leading us to our Savior's death and our partaking of the Lord's Supper. And I think that's a powerful testimony to what our Bible classes are for and why we take part in those studies. They're not just beneficial to us between 9 and 9.50 on Sunday morning and 7 and 7.50 on Wednesday evening, but they permeate our minds. And when we think about worship, the thoughts from our Bible class come to mind. When we think about the Lord's Supper and Jesus, thoughts from our Bible classes come to mind because they've been swirling around in our heads all week long. And that's really a beautiful testimony to what Bible study is intended to be and why we place such an emphasis on that here. And you're going to see that very same thing in my sermon this morning. We're in Genesis right now in my Bible class. So we've been studying through the first several chapters of Genesis. And I am telling you, everything that I'm seeing and everything that I'm thinking, the thoughts and the the concepts and the teachings from Genesis are just popping all over the place for me. And it's, it's really been a wonderful study. And so that's what I want to share with you all this morning, some thoughts from some of the studies that we've been doing in the early pages of the book of Genesis. As Aaron read for us a portion of the Genesis story from Genesis chapter 1, I want to ask you to either look in your Bibles or think back as Aaron read, were there any repetitions or patterns in that reading that stood out to you? There were probably two that stood out to you. And if you continue reading through the rest of the creation story, you'll see those patterns continue. There's one in particular that I'm going to call your attention to this morning. And that is how God concludes each of the days of creation. These biblical patterns that we see literally from the outset of God's Word are so important to us because they they bring our attention to something. When something is repeated over and over, our our minds are drawn to it, our eyes are drawn to it, it it replays in our heads. Why does he say this over and over and over again? There there must be a reason that he does this. And this is a, a, a tool that God uses throughout Scripture repetition and patterns. We see it everywhere. And it's a really powerful Bible study tool to recognize those patterns when they show up and to ask ourselves, what is it about this that God wants my attention drawn to? Well, very clearly, as God tells the story of his creation, he draws our attention to two things. How those days begin and how those days end. And it's how each of those days conclude that I want us to consider this morning. 
as you read through, as Aaron read a portion of for us, but if you read through the entirety of the creation story, for day one through day six, those days conclude the very same way. So the evening and the morning were the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. But here's another important Bible study tool. Not only are recognizing patterns important, but if those patterns are intentionally broken, there's also something to be looked at there. And God breaks this pattern on day seven. Look at Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, as the Lord concludes the sixth day at the end of chapter one, and so the evening and the morning were the sixth day, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. The seventh day doesn't conclude the way that the first six did. There is no, so the evening and the morning were the seventh day. God chooses to just move on from this point and to begin his retelling of of the creation story for us as chapter 2 moves on. That has always struck me as odd, and for a long time I wasn't exactly sure that it meant anything at all. But but as I was preparing to teach Genesis, and specifically the first couple of chapters, I kept coming back to that. Why why is the pattern broken here on day seven? Why isn't there so the evening and the morning were the seventh day? uh, Time continued to progress, right? It's, It's not as if time stood still on the seventh day. No, time moved on. Time progressed. There was a literal morning and a literal evening to that day. So why did God choose to break the pattern here? Well, I want to suggest to you that perhaps there is more that God wants us to consider when it comes to this seventh day. The broken pattern here is symbolic for us, for the people of Israel, as they would have read this recounting of the creation story, it's symbolic because of where God left his creation. Where did God leave his creation? He left it at rest. You see, he didn't draw a conclusion there at the end of day seven. Again, not symbolizing that time didn't move on. But God chose not to draw this to a conclusion the same way that he had previous days because God is recognizing or helping us recognize where he left his created world. And when God finished his creation, 
it was left at rest. We can actually look back in chapter 1 and see this very thing. When you go back to chapter 1 and verse 29, I want you to think about what the world was like as God created it. God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. What was God's world like when he created it? It seems as if there was no fight for survival in his world. It even seems as if animals that we now see as carnivores were eating from the herbs of the field. Man wasn't killing animals to consume. There was conflict-free existence in God's world. That's the world that he created. You go to chapter 2, as, man, as God creates woman for man, and listen to how God describes that creation, beginning in verse number 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. See, woman was made comparable to man. There wasn't, there wasn't a fight for superiority. The world was at rest. There wasn't conflict. There wasn't fighting. There wasn't strife. God created a world and left it at rest. That is a beautiful picture to consider for a moment. That God in his infinite wisdom and all of his power speaking these things into existence and doing so so that they can operate and live in perfect harmony with one another. A world at rest. But now I want you to consider Genesis chapter 3. If you're familiar with the way that Genesis progresses, you know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. As Adam and Eve have been placed in the garden, and they have been given everything that they need, everything to sustain this perfect and restful world that God had given to them, they were given one thing to refrain from. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. But as we read, first Eve and then Adam did that very thing. And sin entered in to this restful, peaceful, conflict-free world that God had created. I want you to look at what the consequences are for sin. I want you to keep in your mind where God left the world, how God designed the world, and I want you to consider the consequences that have now come into the world because of sin. Begin in verse number 16 with me of Genesis chapter 3. God said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow 
and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. I want you to think about the descriptive words that are used to describe the consequences for sin. God speaks of sorrow, of pain, submission, hard work, toil, conflict with the ground. These being consequences for sin would lead us to the conclusion that they weren't there previously, that these are now consequences because of the sin that took place. What do these look like to you? These are words that are used to describe conflict. These are words to describe the exact opposite of rest and peace. What God made to be peaceful and at rest and left in that state has now been disrupted. But it's important to remember that this restful world that God created was not disrupted because of the passage of time. It was disrupted because of the presence of sin. Sin disrupts God's plan for man. Now, I want you to take that principle that we learn from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and I want you to pick up that principle, and I want you to set it right alongside your life. Sin disrupts what God created. And with sin, in our lives today, comes pain and sorrow and shame, toil, hardship, conflict. We are essentially reliving our own version of what Adam and Eve experienced. God created us to be unified in him and to experience his rest and his peace. He created us to live in the seventh day where there is rest and there is unity and there is harmony with the creation around us and ultimately with our creator. 
But when we sin, we disrupt that, and we usher in all of the consequences that come with it. He didn't, bear a, he didn't create us to bear the weight and the burden and the shame of sin. But when we choose to act in a way that goes against God's direct intent for us as his creation, that is exactly what we get. So, now what? Here we are. Now what? Is this rest and peace and conflict-free existence that we can imagine at the end of creation, is it really just a dream? Is it really just something that, that resides in our mind as a longing for a time that was so much better? Well, in one sense it is, because you and I live in a broken world. You and I live in a world in which sin has entered in. And we, as residents of this world, bear the consequences of that and the weight of that. However, I want to suggest to you that in another sense, that seventh day existence is not just for our dreams. Jesus certainly didn't think so. Look in Matthew chapter 11 with me. In Matthew chapter 11, a passage of scripture that you you may be familiar with, and that's okay, but I want you to read it with some of the things that we've been talking about this morning in mind. And I want you to see what Jesus has to say about rest. Beginning in verse number 28 of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That sounds like a world after sin. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful to think about Jesus offering to essentially reverse the eternal consequences that sin bring about. To return us to a state of rest. One in which we can cast off the heavy weight and the burden of sin, and to be at rest the way that God intended for us to be. Isn't that a beautiful thought? When we are born again into God's family and into the children of God, He has recreated us to be at peace. He is recreating us to be at rest. It doesn't remove us from this broken world, but it offers us an eternal perspective, a glimpse into what awaits us, the hope of being at eternal rest, a a hope to return to what God originally designed in the first place. 
So I want to ask you to think about this question. Are you experiencing in your life the consequences of sin? Do you experience hardship and pain and unease and conflict and shame and everything that goes along with the consequences of sin? If you are, I want to suggest to you that the opportunity to rest from that is not just a pipe dream. It's not just something that kind of lives out in our imaginations. Because there is a place of rest that is available to each of us today in the arms of Jesus. He is the author of rest. And that is the recreation that he offers each of us. One more passage of scripture. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And I want you to again read this passage with me. Thinking back to that seventh day when God rested and, and left his world in a state of peace and rest. I want you to read verses 9 through 11 with me. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. It's a wonderful thing to think about, to enter into that rest that awaits. And when someone dies, it's common to offer expressions of comfort, something along the lines of, may he rest in peace. Or she has gone on to her eternal resting place. Certainly for children of God, those are appropriate words of comfort to offer at a time like that. But I want to remind all of us this morning that for a Christian, rest is not experienced only in death. Rest is experienced in Christ. We don't have to walk around this life carrying the weight of sin on our shoulders. We can rest from that in Christ and because of Christ. And that is a promise and an opportunity that he has made to us. Because he is the one, as we're told in Revelation, that makes all things New. When Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, he, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This peace that Paul talks about, this is a peace that you and I can have right now. 
This is a, a restful existence that you and I can have right now. Because it is the peace of God, and it surpasses all of our understanding. And it's a peace that will reside with us from the day we put on Christ until we see him face to face in heaven and can live at ultimate and eternal rest. Have you ever seen someone, or maybe you maybe have experienced this, you go on vacation? And maybe you've been really busy at work, it's been a really stressful time at home, whatever it is, and you're flying to some beautiful place, and you you get off of that plane, and you make your way to the beach, or to the mountains, or whatever it is, and you just take that first deep breath, and, and that air just tastes different, because you left all the stress at home. And for three or four or five or six days, you can rest. And you can enjoy whatever beauty lies in front of you. You can probably all imagine what that's like, or maybe you've experienced that. As good as that first breath of fresh air on that restful and peaceful vacation may taste, it's nothing like the air that you breathe coming out of the waters of baptism. There's nothing like it. There is nothing like the experience of being able to take that heavy weight that you've been carrying around off your shoulders and to truly experience peace and rest in life. That is what God wants all of us to experience when we surrender our life to Christ And we enjoy that eternal day of rest that he left the world in all those years ago before sin ruined it. God wants us to enjoy his rest. And that's why he continues to be patient with us, continues to give us opportunities to come to him, to take off that heavy burden and to find rest in Christ. And that's the invitation to you this morning. If you haven't become a child of God, you have an opportunity to do that today, and to experience that rest, and to breathe that air that tastes better than any you have ever breathed before. If you've done that in the past, but maybe you have crept back into the world of sin, and you're again feeling the consequences of that, and the the weight of that shame and the guilt that you you carry around. Christ is faithful to forgive. He wants you to come back to him. And he's given us this opportunity to think about that and to think about our relationship with our Savior. If there's anything we can do this morning to help you, please come to the front and let us know as we stand and sing.